This week, Congress leaves town forever for the next five weeks, the confirmation process for a top general gets more complicated, and presidential jokes that don't involve racism on the Defense Nerds Podcast. Welcome back to the Defense Nerds Podcast, where each week we bring you the latest defense and veterans news from Capitol Hill. I am Leo Shane, Deputy Editor at Military Times. Hopefully you've joined Congress in starting your summer vacation and you're listening to this episode on a beach somewhere. Before you go any further, please remember to put on some sunscreen. And then subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. We have some interesting episodes coming up in the next few weeks. I don't want you to miss any of them. With me, as he is every week, is my co-host, who has gotten more wave-offs from lawmakers than a local July 4th parade. It's Joe Gould, Capitol Hill Bureau Chief for Defense News. Joe, how the heck are you this week? I'm a, I'm a little surprised to see you in your recess attire, you know, uh, like a house coat you know, and I have slippers. told you I don't need to wear pants when they're up here. I will not wear pants on the hill when I don't know what you're so, wearing under that robe. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Joe, we, look. Or not wearing. You referenced it, Joe. We did it. It took four straight weeks of intense legislative work, but we finally got rid of Congress for the summer. Senate began its extended August break on Friday after a flurry of last-minute nomination and bill passages. House left a week earlier after their own rush of work. Uh, So let's go back over what they got done in the last few weeks and what they have to do when they get back. Uh, First big thing, and you wrote about (laughs) this. It's going to take a whole podcast. (laughs) It's going to take a whole podcast. Look, uh, first big thing was the budget deal. House and the Senate officially signed off on the two-year, $2.7 trillion spending deal that will give $738 billion to the Defense Department in fiscal 2020. Uh, So what's left to worry about with the military budget now? We're all good, right? Uh, Well, I mean... Let's talk about what this deal is and what it isn't. It's um, it's everything, Joe. It's, it's everything. The, it's the top lines. It's the debt limit. It was um, pretty unpopular with Republicans. They, I mean, there were um, split Republicans in the in the uh, the House and Senate. Um, what it doesn't do is set the actual um, uh, numbers for the for the uh, for the. Specific agencies. Yeah, sorry for the specific. So the, when they get back, there are twelve appropriations bills. The um, appropriators uh, are are going to have to um, figure out all the little details, all the little details and line items. Um, and this doesn't do that. There's not a. Uh, there's not yet a concrete strategy for passing those individual bills. And without those bills being passed, we still could see, you know, partial government shutdowns. So, so. you're saying we could still have a shutdown, Joe? That's, I, yeah, until they, until Look, they work seems, that out. It seems a lot less likely because, you know, a CR for short term is non-controversial. The, um, the end of the fiscal year is September 30th. They'll be back on September 9th. Uh, not a lot of days to get that work done. But... Um, seems like they're headed in the right path, but you're right. There's there's still a bunch of wrinkles that can come up, still some problems, still some headaches, especially when you get to border wall money, when you get to issues of uh, transfer authority on some of that, some of those DOD funds, and whether or not those can be used for Trump's southern border projects. So. Yeah, I, I think um, I think what they tried to do was um, was was limit that by uh, by striking a deal that says no poison pill riders. So. Um, it's less likely that we would see something deal, you know, something limiting Trump's transfer authority. At the same time, what's the number for the border wall funds? Is it enough for the White House? Um, that we don't totally know, and that's a that's an issue that that has gummed up the works in the past. All right, look, the uh, other big thing in our world is the two chambers passed their separate drafts of the National Defense Authorization Act in the last few weeks. Uh, but they didn't officially name uh, conference committee members to sort out the differences before they head down on vacation. Should folks worry about that? 
Um, I'm not super worried about it. I guess the the reason why is that that a lot of the conversations that hammer the stuff out um, happen at the staff level. Uh, we learned um, before they went on break from um, Center Armed Services Committee Chairman Jim Inhofe that they've received their what are called their side by sides. Literally, they compare the House version and the comparable passages in the House and Senate versions of the bill. They put them side by side. Talk about great summer reading. <laughs> they do it all the time. I mean, God bless them, the the staff on the on uh, both of those committees. Um, and Inhofe has been saying to us, you know, in a very kind of gingerly way that he and um, Adam Smith, um, his uh, corresponding chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, have been having informal talks themselves and and so, so work's being done. It's just yeah. not the formal conference committee. I mean, we've known, we've seen staff right. hashing out these things. The top line was was the biggest issue in this. With that sort of settled now, I mean, they'll get the appropriations worked out. Um, they'll get into the issues of of nukes. They'll get into the issues of there you go widows tax. Some of the other things, but that's that's what August is for. I mean, those conversations will happen even though we don't officially have the conference committee. I guess what I what I would say that I'm more concerned about than than kind of the sequencing of how they're doing this is is how they're going to get through some of the thorny issues. They're um, you know. The bill had uh, endorsed a smaller bit budget, but that's out the window now. That was, you know, Republicans were rebelling against that number, but now they've all signed on to the to the budget deal that sets the top line. However, there are policy provisions, um, you know, blocking military action against Iran without congressional approval, reversing Trump's um, transgender troop ban. Um, so there are limits on the. You know, in the nuclear weapons program, low yield nukes. Um, I think all of those things they're going to have to hammer out in conference, and they could be pretty f- tricky. So there'll still be something to fight about. Yes, as long as everything's not happy. They and, always find something. Like so, <laughs> all right. Also, before they broke, the Senate managed to get a new defense secretary confirmed, a new Joint Chief Chairman confirmed, and a new Deputy Secretary for the DoD confirmed. Uh, that patched together what had become a really problematic leadership void at the Pentagon. So, Joe, what are we going to see next when they get back? Well, I think that cleared up a lot of uncertainty that we've been living with and talking about here on the podcast for months. Um, but uh, SecDef Mark Esper, um, DepSecDef uh, David Norquist, I think what we're going to see are the, you know, s- some of the openings further down. Um, you know, the, yeah, we I heard... mean, people might be reluctant to come in without knowing who they're going to work for. These guys may have some of their own picks for those jobs. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's what we're hearing uh, that we we both talked to Senator Inhofe in, in the last few days before the break. And he said, look, I'm, I'm hoping this breaks the logjam and I'm hoping that September and October are a lot of confirmation hearings for us. I'm, I'm hoping that that's, you know, he's looking at an Air Force secretary, looking at the new Army secretary, looking at plenty of posts that that need to get through here, uh, Office of Personnel and Readiness. Um, and he's optimistic that with uh, Esper in place for a month, with the president already forwarding some of these names, that that a lot of their agenda is going to be taken up by getting the right people in there and and filling some of that void. Right, and and of course that might crowd out some of the other policy matters that they might want to deal with because they're going to be consumed with yeah with getting nominees through. Although they could use those nominations to talk about, uh, you know, issues that concern them. Yeah, and you and I, you and I talked about this a little bit because we did get sort of the impression that maybe not, not that the committee was frustrated, but the committee was saying like, look, there's there's serious issues we want to be looking at. Right. Um, but a lot of these, I mean, realistically, they just can't dive into in detail without 
the right folks in place. You can't talk about, you know, the Air Force's long-term plans without an Air Force secretary. Right. You can. It's not. It's not a good plan. But, um, and we saw this. You know, when 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 they start to look at threats and challenges for next year, you know, they they want to have Esper. They want to have the top folks come in. They want to. You know, they want the right people to be in place so that they're not just asking. Uh, strategic questions to folks who are in acting roles. I mean, I imagine the building is like waist deep in the budget process right now for next year. Right. You know, we're just getting through this year's, but but they already they have already got their so their nice started. nice spate of nominations that got through here. But expect a lot more when the fall rolls around. One uh, one nomination that didn't make it through Congress this week was was that of General John Hyten. Uh, President Donald Trump's pick for the new vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs has seen his confirmation delayed for a few months now over allegations he sexually assaulted a former aide. Last week at his confirmation hearing, he had his first public comments on the accusations denying any improper conduct. His accuser was in the audience and listened as military officials and Senate Republicans dismissed her claims as false. Uh, Senator Martha McSally, who's talked about her own uh, sexual assault in the military, was particularly uh, forceful in her denial, saying that these were not only uh, not only made up claims, but they were harmful to real sexual assault victims. Uh, Democrats on the committee expressed concerns about other leadership issues with Heighton, but didn't really rally around his alleged victim. In the end, the committee voted 20 to 7 to advance the nomination, with multiple Democrats agreeing to move ahead. We're not going to see a final vote on Heighton until September when they get back. But, Joe, what do you make of how this all played out? Well, I, I mean, I feel like we could do like two or three podcasts just on this topic. There was so much that happened um, this week in the last couple of weeks. Um, so, I mean, just from a standpoint of like what's going to happen with General Heighton, I might I mean, my prediction at this point is that he's going to get confirmed by the full Senate. Yeah, look, a 20 to 7 vote with multiple Democrats on it doesn't seem like it's going to be enough opposition in a Republican Congress to to really stop this guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard different things from from different people. If you talk to Republicans, they'll say that, um, you know, they got a they got a pretty strong vote from Democrats with Jack Reed supporting um, Heighton in the in that vote. Um, so and and you know, a fair amount of um, satisfaction with the with the thorough process that the that the Armed Services Committee went through, you know, multiple meetings behind closed doors, um, interviewing both the, you know, the accuser and um, General Heighton. Um, but on the flip side, I you know, what you hear from Democrats is that they um, there was a, a large amount of, you know, women on the panel who voted against him. And folks are going to want to see what the, um, you know, what the Armed Services Committee saw. So how do you work that process? Some of the stuff was in, was classified. How do you yeah, share information here with 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 Democratic members so that they can feel comfortable voting about uh, voting on Heighton? Yeah, that's and that's what I want to talk about. Look, we're we're in an awkward position here. We're you know we're writing about this. We're getting the information we can. Um, but clearly what we see on this case is very different than what senators are seeing, what the military is seeing. We saw in the confirmation hearing Republican senators coming out saying, clearly, look, we've read the whole investigation into this. We see the flaws in the accuser's story. Um, we are confident that General Hyten is clear here. This is a, a well-respected, well-regarded senior military leader. Um, we see no basis in this, and we have a lot of concerns with his accuser and uh, an active duty army colonel and former aide of his who also has uh, pretty good reviews. Um, I, you know, you and I have talked about this. 
we we've heard from the accuser. We've now heard from the military saying, no, 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 we we're going to release that report soon. But nobody, we haven't seen any version of that report. The, the DOD says they're redacting it. Um, obviously, there's a a giant piece of this we're missing. But with, you know, this is not something that popped up in the last week. This is something the committee's been looking at for a month now. They had five, four or five classified sessions. There's lots of this. Why DOD hasn't put out a redacted version of this report yet to bolster their claims is incredibly frustrating. I feel like we're past the point where DOD saying, no, 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 trust us on sexual assault stuff. We've got it fine. <laughs> like yeah. they, they should have learned by now. As soon as this came out, I, I understand the investigation was there, but why was there not a 20-page a version of this supposed 1,400-page report that was that was put out to bolster their, their claims? Well, you got to wonder... Um, you know what? The, right? Why? Why the holdup? Um, we're going to be sitting around throughout August. The um, you know, just from the from the standpoint of a communication strategy from the from the Defense Department, if they if if what they want to do is um, answer the charges of this, you know, they found they they the Air Force conducted its own investigation. It didn't find um, that the it, it didn't substantiate the claims. Um, why not put that out? And in the meantime, um, while they're not putting it out, um, Heighton's accuser is on, um, you know, went on PBS uh, this last week. I think she went on NPR. She talked NPR, to the New York Times. How I mean, many she other has detailed her? Yeah, and her and side of the story, and not to, you know, I I I just as a as a reporter, right? As reporters, we just don't know what lawmakers know. Well, and this is it. I mean, look, our job is to put out the information we know, and mm-hmm. we're not making judgments, but what we've got right now is the accuser very eloquently detailing her side of the story. And we had Heather Wilson sitting next to uh, General Hyten, uh, that's the former Air Force Secretary, saying, look, we did an investigation, and we totally agree with General Hyten, and just trust us on this issue, to a whole bunch of sexual assault advocates in the audience saying, this is the one issue we do not ever trust you on anymore. We've seen this right. story play out too many times where senior officials have these allegations either swept under the rug or there's a light tap on the wrist or whatever. Again, it just seems it seems negligent of DOD not to have acted quicker to get some version of this report out if it really exonerates Hyden, if it really is helping him. All you're doing is hurting him by leaving this behind the scenes. Or if you... Or, you know, or if you're you're tr- if there's a trust deficit here, why not go to transparency? Right. You want to gain people's yeah. trust. Why not share more information? Why not say we have nothing to hide here? We want to open up the we're confident in the way that this investigation was conducted. We want to share it with the public. The you know, I I get why you might want to hold back on that while the accuser is is um, identity isn't known. But she's out there. She's known. Right. And just one more rant from me here. They said it's a 1,400-page report. I'm sure one of the excuses that gets pulled out is there's a lot to redact in there. You know what? Get the most relevant 20 pages and redact them. Mm -hmm. I don't need the interview with the driver who saw two of them three months before and what his opinions are on the current state of, uh, you know, automobile research. Like, I, I know these reports. They often, you know, in the interest of thoroughness, there are hundreds of pages of irrelevant material. Get a 20-page redacted version out. You can do that in a weekend. If DOD thought that it was this urgent, they could do that in the weekend. Instead, they've opted for the, no, no, just trust us. I, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but then you could have people saying, what are we not being told? You know, if I, I would I, I would say full transparency fine. You're all gonna at get, once. You're going to get calls from senders saying, 
saying we need the full report out. That's fine. Get the 20 page report out three weeks ago when this is breaking, when this is an issue. So you don't have three weeks of folks saying, I don't know, can we trust them? Because again, it's it's very clear from that confirmation hearing. There are there are major parts of this investigation that we just don't know about. DOD has has kept them classified. I think reading between the lines, when you see that um, members of the panel who um, who were really um, you know pushing on a for an open pro- or pushing for an open process, um, seem to be advocating for her. Um, they either um, either weren't there, Elizabeth Warren or Kirsten Gillibrand, or weren't sticking up for her in a in a in a direct way. And that leaves uh, me yeah, to wonder, less... what do they know that we don't know? Yeah. I mean, look, Warren and Gillibrand were at the Democratic debates. Um, the scheduling of this was a little screwy. Republicans are trying to make some hay out of that. You know, there's if you spring hearings at the last minute, sometimes that happens. Right. But it is noteworthy that of the of the seven folks who voted against Heighton's uh, advancing here, we talked to several of them. Joni Ernst was one of them. She said it was not about the sexual assault allegations, right. but other concerns about leadership Amazie Hirono said that it's not she's not sure about the sexual assault allegations, but she felt like the process was moving forward too quickly. You know, we had multiple people who were saying, well, I'm not happy with advancing him right now, but not really coming out and saying he is a sexual predator who has done these things. Ernst's criticism, I think, was really interesting and um, and really in the in in the way that McSally's um, statement sort of uh, was really impactful in that in that hearing because of her experience as a sexual assault survivor, and the credibility that comes with that. Um, the you also had Joni Ernst making a statement on her own, saying essentially, if you if you believe Heighton's story, he overlooked a um, a toxic leader in his ranks, um, who was uh, right. his accuser, that he was giving her stellar reviews. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. Right. So, so anyway. All right. Look, uh, let's uh, let's shift topics for our our, uh, our closing this week. Um, yesterday was National Coast Guard Day, so I hope everyone took a moment to hug their favorite Coastie and uh, and thank them for their service. This What's Wednesday, a uh, this Wednesday, th- come on, man, we get enough grief from the Coast Guard folks. We're not covering them. Don't. Uh... <laughs> Don't, uh, don't make it worse. Uh, this Wednesday is National Purple Heart Day, another important one to remember for our listeners. But I want to highlight next Sunday, because most people might not know that August 11th is National Presidential Joke Day. Uh, this is a tradition that t- dates back to 1984, when then-President Ronald Reagan, during a soundcheck for a radio broadcast, said, My fellow Americans, I'm pleased to tell you today that I've signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. We'll begin bombing in five minutes um, you know, just joking behind the scenes. Whoops. Word, word of this got out. Uh, a lot of folks freaked out. Um, you know, in in recent weeks, we found out that maybe that's not the worst thing Reagan was saying behind the scenes. Maybe uh, maybe there were a lot more offensive things. But look, someone uh, back in, in 84 decided to add this to the calendar of little-known national observances. So want everyone to be ready for uh, what is a really important presidential joke day coming up. Joe, what uh, what do you think Trump could do to to commemorate this day without causing a national scandal. Um, I, I don't know, but whatever he says, it's going to be hilarious. He's one of the funniest people who have ever existed. Funniest? He's one of the funniest. funniest. You just have to ask him. Here's what, <laughs> that's true. That's true. He could say, I actually, I'd love to see him come out next week and say, oh my God, they have spell check on this Twitter thing. And then, you know, just play into that. And then, 
you know, we could all sit around and wonder. He loves to laugh at himself, so of course. Right, right, yeah. No, he's very self-deprecating. Maybe yeah. maybe he really didn't know if there's spell check. Maybe that was the explanation can for you all even, this, Is it so. spell check like something that you can turn on and off I on Twitter? I don't think so, but <laughs> I... I look. Apparently, you can ignore it. That's that's one of the things. So. I grant you that. All right, look. We'll uh, we'll see what best uh, jokes we can come up with. Are please uh, please send us all of yours, and you know I'm sure that won't get us any trouble. Uh, you can send it to us at uh, through our website, defensenews.com and militarytimes.com, or you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Leo Shane. I'm at Reporter Joe. Thanks for tuning in.